We're in a series uh, called uh, James, Faith in Action. Last week, uh, I spoke about in the kingdom of God, there's no favoritism. There's no partiality. The ground is level under the cross, my friends. And today we dive into James' teaching about the evidence, the evidence of dynamic faith. Dr. William Barclay believes that the primary job of the letter of James was not to write new truths, but to awaken Christians to the truths they already knew, but had forgotten or chose not to follow. The followers of Jesus had allowed their faith expression to become idle. They were no longer inspirational or or proving illumination and service to others. They didn't allow Christ to be seen in them, nor the works and service of Jesus Christ. They had heard the great teachers And the prophets of the Old Testament explain the relationship between doctrine and its application to everyday life. But they got lazy. And James wrote to awaken them. You know, we get lazy from time to time. I know I get lazy from time to time with my faith and my works. Or both at the same time. We serve a God who wants to fan the flames of our faith, whereby our faith is indeed dynamic and applied to everyday life through our words and our actions. So let's look at James and see what he has to say to us this morning. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Or suppose a brother and sister is without clothes and daily food, and if one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm, and be well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds. And I will show you my faith by my deeds. You may believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Can faith with no works save you? It's a question that's been around for a long time. Works and faith have often been at the center of debate in the church. What is exactly needed for salvation? Well, we are indeed Saved by grace through faith. It's a free gift of God, as it says in Ephesians. But James gets into a fundamental issue in this text. Just as words without action or lip service do not help people, neither does profess faith in God by itself show that someone is saved. We all know that the Bible teaches that God gives eternal life to anyone who simply and only believes in Jesus Christ for it. And in this message, we come to James chapter 2, that on first glance seems to say exactly the opposite. We have said that faith without deeds or works gives eternal life, but James 2 says that faith without works is dead. 
That's pretty harsh language. We have said that we're justified by faith alone, but James 2 makes it clearly that a person is also justified by works and not by faith alone. So this passage has caused so much confusion and controversy for many years that some have even tried to remove it from Scripture. Martin Luther, for example, he was a great reformer of the Roman Catholic Church. He got into the issue of receiving eternal life, and he was so insistent on the justification by grace alone through faith and Christ alone that he had trouble reconciling the truths with the teaching of James. And he criticized James. But finally, Ruth Luther wrote this. Good works do not make a good person, but a good person does good works. It's like this. There's a Scottish rowboat that took people across the lake. And in this rower had one oar in his boat that was labeled faith. And the other or was labeled works. And he would ask his riders, which is more important, faith or works? And then he would proceed to demonstrate how they both are equally important by taking only one or marked faith and rowing it hard, causing the boat to just go in circles. Thus where there was nowhere to go but in a circle fast. And then he would take the oar marked works and do the same and then go in circles the same way but the opposite direction and going nowhere very fast. Finally, he would proceed to use both oars, faith and works, together to show how quickly the boat would skim across the water to the destination to the other shore. And he would say to his riders, this is how faith and works must work together. It is not one without the other, but both. The church is called to operate out of both. Where's your level of faith? Where's your level of works? If you strong arm one over the other, I don't believe that you're going to reach the destination that God has in store for you. James is teaching us that real faith is involved in a real word and it's not invisible. James urges Christians to pray, but Christians pray in order to immerse themselves in the presence of God so that they can engage themselves in the purposes of God. Remember our reading? James has already hinted as to what is real in our relationship with God, and it reminds us to live that out, my friends. James would agree with this statement written by an anonymous Christian. I was hungry and you formed a humanities club and discussed my hunger. Thank you. I was imprisoned and you crept off quietly to your chapel in the cellar and prayed for my release. I was naked and in your mind you debated the morality of my appearance. I was sick and you knelt and thanked God for your good health. I was homeless and you left me alone to pray. You seem so holy, so close to God, but I'm still hungry and lonely and cold. You see, our faith never exists in isolation, but it's incarnational, my friends. It's love with skin on in action. Our faith commitment to Jesus Christ, while deeply personal, is never private or far removed. 
G.K. Chesterton was absolutely correct when he said a person can have no more possess a private religion than he can possess a private sun or moon or stars. Think about the Lord's Prayer for just a second. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, we declare, give us this day our daily bread, not give me my daily bread. We're reminded that we are a part of a larger community of together as Christians, and our larger community is in humanity. Listen to this poem. You cannot pray the Lord's Prayer in first person I. You cannot say the Lord's Prayer even once and say my. Nor can you pray the Lord's Prayer and not pray for another. For as you ask for daily bread, you must include others. Yes, others are included in each and every plea. From the beginning to the end of it, it doesn't once say me. Here at Anderson Hills, we do our best to never allow anyone in our church fellowship and in our community to go hungry, physically or spiritually, to be without. Needs are provided. I think of just the, just the Project 5000. How we operate through that into the larger community. And the food and the other ministries and the clothing and the shelter and the visits and the counseling and the love and so forth that are incarnational. I love our Thursday night meals at Salem. If you can ever go to the Thursday night meal at Salem, do it. Volunteer. I'm truly blessed when I see people come and they're engaged with the love of Christ. And I love the fact that people who are less fortunate, they get their bellies full and their spirits full. I see people go back and have seconds and thirds. And then, they, and then we're like, we got food left over. Take some doggy bags with you. And there's music and there's a message. And it's awesome time of physical food and spiritual food. And our volunteers are always engaged on the people and I think Sue Lee just tells them to operate that way. Loving on them. Ministering unto them. I love seeing our Fresh Expressions team serve at the Glen and Anthology and places like the New England Club. These assisted living centers are filled with lonely people who are hungering for a touch from God and a touch from other people. I believe loneliness is an epidemic in our culture. There are people who are longing for, for someone to talk to, for someone to be engaged with, for someone to show them hope. It's one of the greatest needs of our days. And we are sources of life for those people. It's an active, dynamic faith that serves and is incarnational. And if you want to serve in those areas, let me know, or other areas, let me know. You see, genuine faith is never indifferent, my friends. It's always looking for a place to be involved. We put our love into action. Dwight Moody once said, we put the gospel message into shoe leather or boots. It's when we put our faith into practice that we show exactly what kind of faith we have. It's a saving faith? Or is it a self-centered faith? Or is it a social faith? Anthony DeMello, whose inspirational stories have been read by millions, has written an incisive first poor person story. He says, on a street, I saw a small girl 
cold and shivering and wearing a thin dress. With little hope for a decent meal, I became angry and said to God, Why did you permit this? For a while, God said nothing. That night later, he replied quite suddenly, I certainly did something about it. I made you. See, God chooses you to be his feet, his hands, tongue, ears, shoulder, serving others, lips, and ears. Jesus in the flesh, incarnationally, faith and action works. When you read James, you can't help but to recall Jesus' parable of the of the sheep and the goats. Matthew 25. It comes to mind. It's the only time Jesus told us about the final judgment and what it's going to be like. Do you remember that parable? He says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and He gathers before Him all the nations of the world, He's going to separate the sheep from the goats. And He's going to place the sheep at His right hand and the goats at His left. And He will say to those... On his right, the sheep, come, blessed of the Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And there's surprise on both sides, the righteous and the unrighteous. They're shocked. Because neither of them knew when they did that sort of thing to Jesus. When, they asked. When did we see you hungry and so forth? And his response to their question is unforgettable. As you did it or did not do it unto the least of these, you did it or did not do it unto me. Nothing about belief. Nothing about right doctrine. Nothing about proper church membership. It's about conscious choice of faith and action, seeing a need and meeting a need. Around here, we believe in the causation of God's love filling our lives, whereby we overflow with that love for the benefit of others. And we just can't, we can't help ourselves. The church is the hope of the world. And when we're filled with that faith, we cannot help ourselves. When I get around good music, it's hard for me to restrain myself. I'm telling you. I just can't help myself. I get like James Brown. I do. I used to do a good impersonation of James Brown. Sound the bump, the ball, the people said, jump back, won't kiss myself. I, and I, I get down on the music when I hear it. I can't restrain it. I tap the foot. I got to sing along with. I have to contain myself when I'm up here listening to these folks. Whistle. Sometimes I even gyrate. And the other expressions to celebrate that song. Likewise, your faith is the tune. Your works is the word sung and the response to that tune. Let's look at James. Let's continue in James. James 2, 20 through 26. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he was offering his son Isaac at the altar? 
You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scriptures was fulfilled that says Abraham believed. And it was accredited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see, a person is considered righteous by what they do, not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab, the prostitute, considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. James gives us two illustrations, two people of faith in action. Faith of Abraham, piece of evidence that James pulls forth. Abraham, his faith, his actions worked together. His faith went into his works. His works went into his faith. And that's the faith that God accredited to Abraham as righteousness. If you remember the story, God comes to Abraham and says, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give you the promised land. And even in your old age, beyond your childbearing years, I'm going to give you a son, an heir, and I'm going to bless you. And then he gives him that son, that heir. And then he says, sacrifice that son. And what does he do? He takes him up on the hill, and he's ready to sacrifice him. God stops him. And that test happened. He carried it out with faith, but was stopped by God. James refers to the outcome of that, that Abraham believed in God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And I think this was the moment where that true faith crept into Abraham's heart. And he was a father of nations birthed into that, to put that kind of faith in the people that would follow Father Abraham. And it was at that moment where his belief where had maybe become so actively involved in his life. And that faith turned into countless actions. And then we meet Rahab, the professional prostitute. And she was probably the worst sinner in Cana by God's standards. But still, Rahab and her household was spared and considered righteous because she treated God's people with honor. James brings her forth as a model. Her works brought forth evidence of righteousness. You see, the example of Abraham and Rahab indicate James is talking about a second type of work that happens within us. It's Jesus said to those who love him, who keep his commandments and obey him. Dynamic faith shows with obedience. Abraham obeyed because he loved God. So works mean obedience to God, not out of obligation, but out of love. And God's love permeates our lives to where we can't help but to overflow it out to others through our works. It's what we display for the world to see and come to believe. There was evidence of this in the early church. There was a journalist at the time of Roman, the Roman emperor Heridian... And this, this reporter at the time in Rome made a report about Christians. He said to this emperor, They love one another. They never fail to help widows. They save orphans from those who would hurt them. If they have something, they give freely to the man who has nothing. If they see a stranger, they take him home. 
They are happy as though he were a real brother. They don't consider themselves brother in the usual sense, but brothers instead through the Spirit in God. That's what God awakens in us with our faith. And that's James' challenge to us this morning. His letter cries out, Remember when we did these things? We believed when the gospel was given to us. We trusted. We have faith. But what happened to you? We don't really feel like we need to do anything now. Huh? James retaliates and proclaims, No, you don't understand faith follows God in the presence. Don't just keep reaching back to that one decision that you made. It doesn't point to something in the past. James is showing them that Abraham's faith was not ultimately vindicated uh, just because Abraham can point to some faith moment in his life way back when. Abraham did not say to God, Well, God, I was faithful to you in the past, so I'm going to bow out on this one. Surely I've done enough to show you that I believe. But that is not what he does. The same for us when God calls. I will do what you ask of me, O Lord, in a moment because I have dynamic faith as one who follows God in the present and doesn't use a moment of past faithfulness as an excuse to be lazy in the present. All James is doing is simply pushing back to our inclination to simply coast and to say, I believe, and then just gloss over our inner inaction, inaction with pious language or shiny new books or more facts and no action. We want to call that faith, but instead James would call you to action, my friends. He would call you to live out your faith by recognizing that you're called to love a God that did not withhold his most precious son from you. And think about what Jesus did. Incarnation produced feeding of people, welcoming strangers, ministry and healing, touching leper, healing the blind, everything done through incredible works as a model of faith for us. That's a God worth serving and loving. This is an old truth. And we need to hear it many times. Faith without works is dead. You see, we can talk the talk, but we also need to walk the walk. And may we always be volunteers, servants, standing up and saying yes for Jesus and his mission. Because you are the church, the hope of the world. May we talk and walk. And may God's grace permeate our lives to where our faith can't be contained. And it's unleashed with love movements and pulsations of gracious works that flow freely wherever we are. Let us pray. Almighty God, we are sitting here today and we might feel that we are works heavy, but our faith is wavering. Maybe we're sitting here today and we feel our faith is weary, but our works are doing well. God, may we we be sitting here and we don't know where to begin. You call us to align our lives to your rhythms, to your ways. 
We thank you for the accountability we find in James. We thank you for the wake-up call and the way in which you want our faith to be dynamic in you. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and may we truly live out as the hands and feet of Jesus Christ in this world. And we pray this in his holy name. Amen.